0: Very good. Well, we are back, Hello, everyone, for another week of our encounter. Um, Today we're looking at Acts chapter 15, Dealing with Differences. This is the lesson for May 2nd, lesson number nine in this quarter. Um, I am your host today, Yay! That's my job, hosting. I'm Rebecca Zardi. You can find me on YouTube, Rebecca Zardi, Z-A-H-R-T-E, um, or you can find me at our church Facebooks. Um, I have Rose Creek Cumberland Presbyterian Church and Madisonville First Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And I'm joined with today by my two lovely co-hosts, Logan.
1: Lovely. Lovely. <clears throat> Introduce
0: yourselves. Lo- yeah, I was
1: about to say. I am Logan Dixon, I just woke up, and (laughs) I'm pastor at Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and I host the Monday Morning Megaphone, which usually has a new episode every Monday. Um, I haven't had a a new episode the last couple of weeks, but hopefully I'll get back in the habit, and I also co-host the Culty Crimes and Criminal Minds podcast with my friend and fellow pastor, uh, Nate Wilcott. And we, had, we did a uh, really interesting episode about the Ammons house. And it, it wasn't really a cult or a crime, but we wanted to cover it because it was a really cool story. Um, it was a very, very haunted house and where a lot of uh, demonic things happened and they eventually bulldozed the place. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like you'll, you'll have to go and listen to that episode.
0: Very
2: interesting. All right, so I've taken the encounter on the road. Uh, I, am, I am currently in Savannah, Georgia, so you can see the that's a picture of Bonaventure Cemetery if you've ever seen or read the book and movie Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Uh, this is where some of those scenes were done, I'm technically on a little bit of a vacation. So anyway, uh, good, good to have you here today.
0: Thank you for joining us on your vacation. (laughs) We apologize for intruding.
2: (laughs) It's a pretty, it's a really, if y'all are ever down in Savannah, it's It's very pretty.
0: Very cool. All right. Well, let's jump into our um, encounter lesson for today, our prayer for illumination. Let us have that. God in Christ, you have made us all sisters and brothers. There is no distinction between Gentile and Jew. There is no separation that can remove anyone from fellowship in Christ's community. Blind us to our differences so that in unity we may proclaim your truth to all for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whom there is harmony and peace. Amen. Amen. Our scripture selection today comes from Acts chapter 15, 1 through 14 are listed in your book, and then 15 and 17 are additional verses to read. Our memory verses are Acts 15, 8 through 9, which say, And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. And our introduction question is actually our discussion question for the week. It says, List some things expected of new people before they are fully welcomed into the fellowship of your congregation. Which expectations on your list are truly necessary and which are there to ensure the new people are like you? Great question that our author, um, Daniel Hopkins, opened us up with. Um, And if you're watching this and you're on YouTube or Facebook, either which way, please join in on that discussion question. It really kind of helps facilitate and keeps moving that conversation along as we all discover and kind of learn about this question and what that means for our context so what about you guys what do you think about that discussion question
2: i'll go just because i'll be kind of brief about it like there's no church that would actually accept this question in the sense of every single church thinks that they're the most welcoming church in the world which uh probably they are very welcoming right but um but I also know that there's a difference between being welcomed into a membership of the church and then being uh, what's what the, I guess the word be assimilated into the group. So right, there's yes. a lot of times to where people become part of a church, but like uh, kitchen committees might be one of them. It could be people who work around the church like to do things themselves and don't really like the help of others. And, and so sometimes it takes a little while to find a Sunday school class or to find, you know, some things that mm-hmm. uh, to, to become part of the fabric of the congregation, and like I said before, churches have temperaments, and sometimes you have to figure those out before you were, before you're fully welcomed, um, so anyway, that would be my answer. There's a difference between welcoming, and then acceptance, and then assimilation, I would say.
0: Right, yeah. What are you, about you,
1: Logan? I would say that before someone is welcomed into the fellowship, you know, as a member, uh, like not as a visitor, visitor, anyone can come and visit. But as someone who is listed as an active member, I would say that someone needs to have professed faith in Christ or at the very least has been baptized, right? Because, because in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, you, we baptize infants and obviously infants don't profess faith in Christ. Uh, So, at the very least, someone who is baptized. Um, And then, if they're an adult, I would say someone who has professed faith in Christ. And someone who understands Cumberland Presbyterian distinctives. Like, I'm not going to say that you need to fully read the Confession of Faith uh, and study it, but I will say that you need to understand who we are as Cumberland Presbyterians. Uh, You know, I would say understand that we believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone, understand that we strongly believe in infant baptism, understand that we affirm that uh, women can be called into the ministry just as much as men can Mm -hmm. Um, understand that, understand that as Cumberland Presbyterians, we have unity where it's important and we have charity in, in secondary issues and tertiary issues.
0: a good point yeah absolutely
1: um
2: yeah and i'll say this so like uh i should have said that so like but i think church membership has has um i i don't know how to say i think church membership has been kind of um it's not as important as it once was right so but anyway that's well then, then you
1: have to ask the question of course this this could probably open up a whole other can of worms given I I agree with you that church membership has kind of you know lost its importance over the years is that a good thing or a bad thing
2: Mm.
1: both yeah we'll get into it in the lesson why I think it's bad
2: Uh, right but anyway that's my thoughts what about you Becky you're a pastor
0: Uh, yeah you know that's mm, that's a tough one because the church membership thing I don't think either one of the churches that I pastor really expect people, I mean, they want people to become a member of the church, but I don't know that that's a high expectation. They they appreciate that and enjoy that when people do join the church officially. Um, but they're just excited to have people come in the doors, you know. Um, right. I think most Cumberland Presbyterian churches were like, most everybody else in our denomination, we're a small church. And so when we have new people walk in, it's like, ah, yay, new people are here, you know, and that's just, that's exciting. Um, so I don't know if there's a list, but, you know, we've talked about this before on on several occasions where like tends to congregate with like. Um, so people may come in and and try out our church or hang out with us for a couple of Sundays you know, but if, if there's not any kind of commonalities in between the personalities or how they appreciate our worship style, um, they're not going to stick around, um, yeah. you know, so I, I don't know if there's really a list per se, um, but I know there's always the, that, unspoken, um, coming from the background that I came from, um, there's one of the churches that I attended. And um, when I was in my twenties and um, before I left church entirely, I always felt like an outcast in that church. Cause they were more of the affluent church in the community. One of the more affluent churches. And I was not at all affluent at that time. And so I felt, even though I don't know that anybody made me feel like an outcast, I felt like an outcast because I didn't have the fancy clothes. I didn't drive the fancy car, you know, um, I just showed up and what what I had. And so I think there's that too, that sometimes you may not mean to look down on people when they're coming through the door, but there's just, I don't know, some unspoken. Something. Yeah.
2: I mean, really, that's cool. what we have in this in this pattern or in this chapter. I mean, that's that's it. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. And I yeah. think and I think part of the issue is what most people want, whether they want to admit it or not is whenever they go to a church and they want to get plugged into a church, what they want is the generic Bapticostal Evangelifish kind of atmosphere.
0: That is a very long word.
1: Right. Bapticostal (laughs)
0: Evangelifish.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what they want. And and so whenever they visit a Cumberland Presbyterian church, they come for two or three weeks and they either leave or they join the church. But when they join the church, they don't understand what a Cumberland Presbyterian is or right. what the denomination is because we have very few references in our sermons or or the liturgy of our worship service to the confession of faith or the catechism. And it's to our own detriment because yeah. we attract people who don't want what we're offering.
2: Well, I've, and I've also said, and I think it's a strength of our church and it's a weakness of our church, you know, like the, sure. um, in, in the sense of, we've never been, or at least I've never experienced a Cumberland Presbyterian being sectarian. Like there's Mm -hmm. very few of us that are like, we are the way, the truth and the life. Right. Right. And so what I've seen in my 15, 20 years in the church is when our youngins grow up and they get married because our Cumberland Pres, we don't have that sectarianism. Like if they marry, if, if one of our kids marry a Baptist, it's just easier to go to the Baptist church and Cumberland Presbyterians are like, Oh, I'm glad that they're, still going to church
1: and right. we, we don't
2: make it an yeah. issue and well, so we lose a lot of, I think we lose some kids that way. Yeah. as a sectarian well, yeah, myself <laughs> yeah but not it's not in our dna we're just not right. that yeah. church. we're not church of christ we're not catholic we're no. not like the independent Reformed baptist I mean we're just we're we're a pretty ecumenical bunch and that again well, is, there's a strength because I think that's the way a church should operate but the problem is mm-hmm. is that you also don't have you haven't pushed your distinctives enough to where it's really easy for one of us, you know, when we move out of our home church and we go somewhere else and there's like a really good Methodist church and we're okay with that. Or if there's a really good Baptist church, we're okay with that. Right. Um, Right. And, and it's a sad thing, but it is a good thing too, because we can work well together with others. So.
1: Right. No, I I agree. I um, agree. I agree too. I think, uh, I think there's a way that you can be ecumenical and distinctive. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I think being, I mean, I joked about being sectarian and I am to, I'll go ahead and say that I am to a certain extent, but I think being fully blown sectarian is a bad idea um, yeah. because I've seen what kind of, I've seen what kind of behavior that can instill in people and it's not good, no. uh, but it is good to, it is good to understand what you believe and why you believe it and want to sure. stay within those bounds.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: absolutely I, I i agree with that you
0: know sectarianism you know coming from the church christ background that i came from that was and that was hard um to overcome Than when i came to the cumberland presbyterian church because there were so many of those things that i believed were set in stone and as i've studied scripture more for myself and and have had historical answers given to me you know um which i was not receiving before i'm like Oh, so not everybody has to believe dun 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 dun. You know, it's it's not it's not that cut and dry, um, like like some of the denominations are. But yeah.
2: and that's what I think in our text is what kind of is the contextual and historical setting. Yeah. right? it's just like we yes. had they had this explosive growth. I had an elder one time that said. You know, Margaret Hank was used to having 20, 25 people. And then there was one Sunday that we had like 122 in our worship service. And he looked at me, he came to me right before I preached. And he said, he shook his head just like this, And he said, I've told you this before, more people, more problems. Right. And so um
1: wow <laughs> well i mean he was joking but true. it is the truth that's
2: true as yeah. you grow you have conflict because you have the old old yes. guard people and then you have the new guard people and then you have and everybody wants the best church can but it's like uh was it who was it was it who was it mo money more problems anyway yeah yeah old, yes old hip-hop song <laughs>
0: yeah it was the old hip-hop song but yeah but it's I true. Agree. I think that's kind of what they're getting at, what Daniel was getting at here and exploring the scripture. Um, You know, we're looking at the two different sects. And one of the things that really jumped out to me was that bottom paragraph on page 57. It says, this kind of growth and expansion may sound like great news to us today, but for many of the Jewish Christians in the early church, it was more frightening than encouraging. And I think that that really stuck out to me as far as the explosion of the church growth, because even in our small congregations today, what happens is, is you have this small congregation that has congealed really well, that they have made themselves a really nice family unit. And you know what happens when you add new people to the family unit.
2: It's a system. It, yeah,
0: it's just it, it it makes everything different, and then you have this new personality added in, and you're trying to figure out how they fit within the family. You know, it's just like your little family unit, and then when you get older and you and you get married, and you're adding this new personality into your family, then the rest of your family's like, oh, I don't know, like right. this person or not. And it's the same way. It's the same thing in our churches. So. Absolutely. Sometimes I think what hinders our growth is that we're afraid when we add new personalities into the church that we're going to change. And yeah. I think that's, that's a lot of what was happening here because they went from having just the Jews, which they understood their background and their own personal history to, well, now we have this mixture of, of people from different backgrounds and different histories and different ways of looking at the world. And what do we do with that? You know, I think that was that was kind of a, a frightening moment for them, which is why they push so hard for them to keep the mosaic law and be circumcised, because then at least you have a common ground to start from and move forward from there. And um, but that's that was not the, that was not the answer.
2: No, it's tough. And and so like we're veering off. It may seem like we're veering off, but I did want to uplift. Um, I don't know if we're getting too far. I guess we are getting a little too far. I, no, no. I mean, we're, I mean, we just had different cultures. And so like you said, yeah. if a small church starts getting new people, it is stressful for the yeah. old folk, older. And when I say old, I don't mean age. I'm just the ones who have been there for a while. Yeah. Things have to change in order to keep growing. So it's tough, but yeah. Um, well, in
1: one example, uh, I I'm part of a, uh, I'm a part of a community page for the town that is just north of me because i like to keep up with what's going on up there and someone made a post about how people need to stop moving into the community (laughs) that that. sounds about right (laughs) Wow! and so i commented on it and i said citizens of this town i wish people would just come to our town because we're such a lovely place to live also citizens of this town I wish people would stop moving into this community. <laughs> yes. And that's,
2: that's honestly like a church gets into that mode, doesn't even know it. And it's, it's very
1: hard. Uh, it can, no, it, like I, And I had that at my first church, man, and I confronted it and I left because of it. Well, I mean, like,
2: it's, it's just one of those things that's part of human nature, not just church yeah. nature, but it's human nature. Oh, so.
0: Yeah, Absolutely anytime you you change something it makes it different and that's hard to that's hard to deal with um
1: anybody else have so, anything in
0: the exploring the scripture part you want to really jump on there
2: nah i'm good
0: okay they had a really well i don't want to get too personal here but um daniel had a really good discussion question on that um and 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 maybe that would be a good one to discuss in your own context um but share the disputes within the church that you've experienced and assess how many were over spiritual theological matters and how many were over less important things um you know that's i think that's a good gauge to
2: see if oh, go ahead sorry
0: I think from all of our histories, we can say that the majority of the disputes were probably over things that were not theological or spiritual yes. in matter.
1: Right, because I, I think, well, and I think part of that is because our people don't think theologically, which is honestly terrible, but... Yeah, um, it is what it is. I mean, because whenever people think about theology, they just think about the boring, the, the boring educational aspect of it. Right. And yes. really, we're... Really, we're all theologians. The only question is, are you a good one or a bad one? The problem is most of us are bad ones. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I would also say that question is just a pretty good question to ask if you're to see if your church is an inward focused church too. like. Yeah. Yes. I did say in a sermon a couple of weeks back, um, you know, I, there not one time have I ever had someone come into the session meeting mad because we haven't added enough people to the church role or professions of faith. I've never had, nobody's ever gotten mad about that in, in a session meeting ever, um, and so, you know, and I was the preacher of a church for 15 years, or 13 years, my fault, too, so anyway,
0: right,
2: we just, uh, we get focused on, on certain things, but,
0: yeah, absolutely, okay, so that's a good question for you teachers to discuss with your, uh, your group this week to really, assess and think about that in in your own personal context what about digging deeper what do we have there
2: i thought maybe this would be a good time for us to um talk about why we're presbyterian why we have the presbyterian portion of our name right uh because this is the go-to of how we settle differences um and and so um and then I'll preface that by saying the hard part, this is why church membership has, has broken down. Um, you have to be committed to the fellowship in order for this to work well. Like, you have to submit to your church. In turn, the church submits to presbytery. In turn, the presbytery submits to synod, senate to the general assembly in some sense. Um, we're a little different than mainline Presbyterians that the church retains a lot of local control, but still nonetheless. Um, it has to be a commitment to either the confession or to the church itself, whatever you Mm -hmm. want to say for this to really work well, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I thought it wouldn't, might be good for folks to understand why we're the Presbyterian part of our, uh, of our heritage. So at least church history in general, I'm going to say has three different modes of church government, uh, I was wondering, I didn't know if that was a cat outside of my no, car. Anyway. Him. He was,
0: yeah.
2: he was um, tattering. <laughs> so you have what's called an Episcopal church or a bishop led church. That would be like your Methodist and your Catholics and your Episcopals where you have a bishop led, where there's a, bistri- district, a bishop as a district superintendent and you have a little bit of a hierarchy. In the Catholic church, of course, you have uh, the Vicar of Christ, uh, the Pope, and and he is the head of the church. Um, and the Methodist Church, like for instance, pastors get placed by the bishop. Like the local church doesn't have the autonomy to simply hire a minister, but the bishop places. And then in art, so then and then on the on the other side, you have congregational churches, which are like some Baptist churches, Church of Christ, to where you retain complete autonomy. Right, so your church can do whatever it wants to without regards to what a higher body, because there is no higher body, uh, would say. You also are ordained through the local church when you have a congregational model. Um, then you have the Presbyterian system, which is kind of I think an in-between, where basically your presbyteries act as bishops, but it's not one individual that gets to call the shots, but the representatives from elders and pastors from each individual church as a collective body vote on motions or whatnot, and then those mm. are binding on the local churches. So I, I hope that makes sense. But Logan, you're a nerd so if, if I if I have made things entirely too simple correct me where I did
1: oh no I mean I, I think that's I think that's a great explanation um, and, and I think and this goes back to what I said earlier about how what a lot of people want is like the whole babbicostle evangelifish experience like they don't understand what the word Presbyterian means and that's uh-huh. not necessarily their fault they, they have to be taught right. that um, it's just that whenever they get into a church, like, let's say they come and visit a Cumberland Presbyterian church, um, and they visit for a few weeks and they want to know what Presbyterian means. And then we proceed to explain that to them. Uh-huh. Some people might be put off by that because they think the church should have autonomy or they think the pastor in session should have more control, or they think the congregation as a whole should have more control because that whole, Uh, That whole autonomous form of church government, which is, you know, rooted in like Southern Baptists and stuff that that whole thing has just infiltrated the South and infiltrated really the the nation as a whole. And so everyone who goes to a church just assumes the church has the church as a congregation has all this control. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. And, And they also assume that the church that the congregation should have that much control. And, and again, I don't think that's the case. So like whenever I came up before Presbytery to come under the care of the Arkansas Presbytery, one of the first questions I was asked was, what do you think of Presbyterian church government? And I had already studied the issue, so I kind of knew what it was all about. And I said, I think a Presbyterian form of church government is practical and biblical. And I think an autonomous ch- form of church government is, is unbiblical and almost evil because you're giving... <laughs> You're giving every single person in the congregation, whether they've been a faithful Christian for 30 years or a new member for two days, the same voting power. And I don't think that works or should work like the session who is supposed to be made up of mature, godly men and women should have control in the church. Mm. Um,
2: Or be responsible for for discerning the witness of the Holy Spirit. How's that? Yeah. Right. Controls. Yeah. I don't like the word control. I think because we 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 just in our day and age everything's a power dynamic, and I think yes. if you're a faithful elder, or if you're if you're a faithful even if you're a faithful session or presbytery, your goal isn't necessarily to exercise power as much as it is to discern the the moving of the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. to make sure that our churches are aligned uh, with with what God is calling us to be. Mm-hmm. Now, it's just mm-hmm. easy to denigrate down to the lowest common denominator. I get that. But I think in Acts chapter 15, you, you're given the model where Paul and Barnabas had been working with these local churches that were Gentile. And then you had these other ones uh, that like it, it manifests itself in Galatians, probably most where Peter's kind of hanging out with the Jewish folk. And what do you do? do Peter and Paul, like, have, like, Bible fight night, fight club, (laughs) and whoever reigns victorious gets, gets in, or what they did, they, they went, they went to at least the recognized elders um, at the time, the apostles or whatnot, they pleaded their case, and then with, you know, that council, the Jerusalem council, said, here's the things, and, and so then, you know, now the hard part then is, it worked well in the first church because people were committed to uh, the, the church so they could, I don't know how well. I mean, if you went back and said, this is what the apostle said, there was probably some in every church that said, Psst, who are they? But I think for mm-hmm. the most part, the body of Christ said, all right, that's what we've decided. Let's go with it. Right. Right. So, and then, right. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's some really good points that comes out of this scripture in Acts 15. Is first of all in verse six or seven it says there had been much debate, but then in verse 12 it says the whole assembly kept silence and listened. You know, and I think that's that's an important key because so many times we come to the table with our preconceived notions. We've already made up our minds. We've already had our opinion is set and we don't actually listen to, to what the debate is. We don't listen and we don't hear what the other person is saying. We're just, we've are just we just already made up our mind in our time frame. And I think this is a great example of how, when there is conflict, how to resolve that conflict, that you need to actually be silent and you need to listen to what the other person saying, listen to their part of the issue and then with your elders and and session members come to a decision from there and that's something we forgot you know we've just we've kind of lost that in our and in our our current culture (laughs) that is not a we have not a thing so like
2: i think our current culture is reflected in the struggles that presbyterians have i mean like if you look Mm -hmm. at the government of our Civil government. It's based off of Presbyterian form of government. That's where right. they got the idea, where you have representatives, you have a republic, if you will, not a democracy in the sense of, we elect elders that then serve the people, uh, but the people then so like, Logan, you said this, I think I remember, you know, we had some new folks at the Margaret Hank Church, and we were going to sell a piece of property. And of course, if we sell a piece, piece of property, it has to go before the Presbytery. They just could not get their mind that just the church could just say, let's get everybody together, vote, see what the church does, and then right. do whatever we want to do. And I said, well, that's, that's not how it works. We yeah. have a deliberative body who helps us not to be inflamed by our passions to act just you know, in the moment. What the Presbyterian setup does is it takes power away from an individual, which is good. It takes mm-hmm. power away from an individual church, not necessarily again to exercise power but so that you can have a deliberative thought out process by which a group seeks the wisdom of god mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. i think that's how you're supposed to look at it uh and i think right. that's the same you know but there's a breakdown like that to where everything in in america right now is quote unquote democratic to where as long as 51% yeah. of the people want it um then it's fine but that's just not how we're set up to work and, mm-hmm. and so there's a struggle there that mirrors society
1: well right. and, and another thing too like we have to consider that that the kingdom of god is not a democracy right right so it's if not the kingdom, if the kingdom of god's not a democracy why should the church be a democracy right
2: i can go That's with that true. yeah um, That's
1: true.
2: but it's it's hard to but so what but but i'll say this but what the presbyterian form of government does allow is that people can make compassion please and they can think differently, but you have to meld it together with a deliberative thought of what's going on, right? You can't just yes. act as soon as you can. I think that's really important. No, uh,
0: And I think that offers checks and balances within our system, which I really, I mean, personally, I really appreciate that checks and balances so that yeah. you don't have just one person that's in this congregation that has decided, oh, well, we're just going to run the church this way. No, that's not, that's not how we as Cumberland Presbyterians work, it is, it is the will of the body. It is, you know, is your elected session members who the congregation has elected to those positions to make the decisions, you know, and then you also have, when you turn in your minutes and that goes to Presbyterian, your minutes are are read through and okay so now we have a checks and balances here ah okay they made this decision here but that's that wasn't an okay decision to make and we need to talk about that you know but that that gives everybody i guess equal footing to have that opportunity to 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 voice but also what the will of the body is going to do you know it's that it's again it's that coming together and understanding gives people time to discern the will of god through that as well you know
2: Yeah, I think we jumped into the learning from the scripture, but on page 60, (laughs) Daniel writes, well, it it all goes together. But I think what you just said reflects the very first sentence of page 60, where it says it is important for us as Christians to understand that it is dangerous to rely only on our personal experiences to understand God and express our faith, limiting ourselves. That way, one might come to the conclusion that only my experiences are true. And only my convictions are worthwhile. And anyone who experiences and experiences and convictions differ from different from mine must be wrong. And so um, I think that that's what you were saying. I mean,
0: yeah,
2: that seems logical to me. Like God works with individuals differently than He does the group. In the sense of God is calling you as an individual, as a as a member of that group, to do something. But then God also forms and shapes the church as as a body. So.
1: Like yes. Here's the thing. If you're if you're called to preach, if you're really called to preach, then you've got to trust God that that's going to be recognized by your elders at some point. Yes. Right. You. So you don't Absolutely. have to uh, like you can like you can approach your elders and your pastor and say, hey, I think I'm called to preach. But then it's going to be the job of your elders to discern whether or not you are. And you've got to deal with their decision one way or the other. Right. And then the presbytery.
2: Right, like that's the how in the
1: Presbyterian setup, Presbyteries are the
2: ones who ordain ministers. In the Episcopal setup, bishops are the one who, I guess, bishops in the college, I guess, whatever you want to call that group, ordain uh, an individual church doesn't. But congregationally, then it would be just up to the elders. So most of your Baptist churches are Church Christ. I think your Church Christ don't ordain to ministry; they ordain into being an elder, and then you either teach or you don't. Actually, I think is that right, Becky? They don't have ordained ministers per se.
0: Yeah, per se. I don't remember ever
2: having an ordination. It's just just kind of
0: appointed to. That's our pastor. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, They uh, are the reason why in most Southern states, you don't have to be an ordained minister to do weddings uh, because they're not ordained ministers. They're ordained elders. You have to be a recognized Uh head of a church in most Southern states to do weddings gotcha. not be ordained gotcha. so anyway so you do not necessarily if you're an elder you do not have to get online and get like that ordained from the worldwide church of god and jesus christ on the third day of the sixth month or whatever you can actually just do the wedding <laughs> but um, anyway yeah I
1: was just saying, <laughs> in the state of Arkansas you do
2: <laughs> you do have to gotcha
1: yeah like in, the well, state in Arkansas of- you
2: have to go through that computer ordination
1: well- <laughs> Yeah, well, like in Arkansas, the way it works, and this is just—just just, I know this is off-topic, but this is a, this is a kind of interesting. Like in Arkansas, the only thing required of you is that you have a piece of paper from some organization, some 501c3 nonprofit, that says you are uh, allowed to do this, and then you take that paper to the courthouse, and they only charge you five dollars to put that paper on file.
2: And wow. Well, that's you. You that's do what? the Church of Christ stuff. That's the Church of Christ influence yeah. because. Um, but anyway, that's the point. Like they have power within their own body, their own little church or big church, whatever it may be, to recognize someone as a leader. In our church, you have to go through the process of local session, then the presbytery, before mm-hmm. you're ordained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And th- and that whole process is it's it's God's discerning. You know, it's people discerning the will of God as to whether or not that you are called to ministry. And I think that's a beautiful process to go through, um, even though Logan, you, you know, it's long and sometimes frustrating. And, um, but what, when you come out the other side of it, you recognize the beauty in that, and, and that there are other people beside yourself who feels called, but there's other people who are coming in agreement with you. And saying, yes, this is this is the will of God that you are to me an ordained minister in this in this denomination. And so, and that's a, I think, very supportive. Um, and it's a very beautiful process to have had walkthrough, um, even though at times it was frustrating. <laughs> and that's that's kind of what's happening here, even in Acts 15, when we're talking about this whole Jew and Gentile thing. It was it was the will of the body came together and really sought the will of God to discern what was the right thing to do in this moment. Um, right. you know, what was the right thing to do here? You had Paul and Barnabas who came before the body, who said, you know, this is what happened. Peter explained about what happened when he was with, uh, the Gentiles. Um, and so now you have this whole body that's gathered together. That's going, okay well let's we've heard their testimony we've heard what they've said let's really pray about this and discuss it and and then come to an agreement as to what was um what was important and and how that they were supposed to do that how they were supposed to incorporate the gentiles into their faith at that time is there anything else in the digging go ahead
2: well, I I think we've done the learning from the scripture and the digging deep together. Yeah, so probably just both to kinda, together. But oh, but I'll I'll go on to say this too. Like I think I remembered when I was doing some study for the next couple lessons in the book of Galatians and either of y'all correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think this Acts 15 thing happened before the um, confrontation between Peter and Paul in Galatians and how how Gentiles were received at the Galatian church. And so I just wanted to bring up the fact that it just because it is that it's still a struggle. Like if, if Presbytery votes on something that you're very passionate about, you still may like struggle with it, but your commitment has to be with the fellowship of the church, unless you just can't support it. And then you, you probably don't need to be part of that fellowship in the sense of like, uh, one of the, this only happened to me one time as a pastor, we had something that we were voting on and um, it was a tight vote. And like I was usually, I think we had the same amount of elders, terrible. Don't do that. Have an odd number of elders that way when you have a majority vote, it's a majority vote. But if, then if you have a split vote, um, the moderator becomes the tying vote or the, the deciding vote, it's a terrible way to be. Anyway, luckily I didn't have that. Have to do that But but the vote was very close. I think it was like five, three something like that Um, and then after the session meeting the next Sunday one of my elders mentioned in their Sunday school class that they didn't agree with with what the session voted and it caused problems and so I I reminded that elder look we're a body once we vote that's what we voted like whether you did or not we voted this and we're part of right we're part this is how it works and so um, but you can still struggle with it but struggle with it the right way like bring it back up in the next session meeting if you want to or whatever, but uh, we have to be careful um, how we cause division or not. And I think that's what happened mm-hmm. in Galatian with Peter and Paul. I mean, like it, but it, it's a struggle, like it is a struggle, but we pray yeah. that the deliberative process was guided by the Holy spirit is what we pray. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right. And I would say that if, if it's something you feel strongly about with good reason, um, talk to Number one, talk to people who don't agree with you to see if to to get their perspective and see if maybe you could be wrong. Uh, Number two, if you if if after that, you still don't think you're wrong, then just pray about it quietly, like keep your yap shut and pray about it and pray that God will vindicate you if you're right.
2: Yeah, and also in the Presbyterian system, you have like if it's a church matter that you think is very vital. You have the Board of Missions, which you can appeal to as well, um, yes. which is the presbyterial body that deals with the church stuff. And that might be, I mean, I've seen it happen to where that was right. Like a pastor did something that wasn't right. Uh, the session didn't necessarily do anything about it. So some members of the session petitioned the the um, Board of Missions to say, hey, look at this, right? So, like, it's not all on you either in this type of setting. Like, you don't have to be Clark Kent. Um we have the checks and balances, as Becky said, and that's important to follow.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All Anything right. else I'm learning from the scripture?
2: Well, I think I've talked a lot, so I'm done.
0: No, <laughs> you're good. You've had some really good stuff to say. I think Daniel has a great question in his learning from the scripture that goes right along with, with what we were just saying. It says, on the bottom of page 60, it says, what if we could be less offended by other people's beliefs or lack thereof and instead meet them with grace and a testimony of the saving work of Christ?
2: Yeah. Yep. that's Good job, that's Daniel. What it's,
0: that's what it's all about. It's all about us coming together to, to build up the kingdom for Christ. It's It's not about our personal issues or... Um, you know, belief or lack thereof. It's about building the kingdom for God.
1: Yep.
0: All right. How do we apply this to our life?
2: Uh, I'll read what Daniel has in that second paragraph in 61. I okay. mean, when we think about the totality of church, I think is where we, we get this, Daniel writes, when we focus on avoiding hell or perfectly following every religious rule, we forget to enjoy our journey with Christ, moving toward eternity in God's kingdom. A friend of Philip Yancey's once said that the church had spent so much time putting him in the fear of making mistakes, he had become like an ill-taught piano player. He played the songs but never really heard them. His real concern had become not to make music but to avoid some flub. Um mm that's good. That's pretty good. good. Like, right. Like the gospel is supposed to be good news. I enjoy it. I always, I try to remind myself that.
0: Yeah.
1: What about, Uh, I mean, like, and yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say that if you need help with that, then I recommend a book called the ragamuffin gospel by, uh,
2: Mm.
1: well, I can't even think of the guy's name now. I want to say, he was an ex Catholic dude, wasn't
2: he? Wait, are you talking about the, the singer Rich Mullins or are you talking about the guy he
1: learned it from? The guy he learned it from. Yeah, what's his name? Brennan, Brennan Manning?
2: Name. Huh? Brennan Manning?
1: Is that his name? Yes, that's it. Brennan Manning. I, I always get Brennan Manning and Frederick Butner confused. Um, yes,
0: Brennan Manning. Because they're,
1: they're so similar. Um, but I recommend, which I recommend Frederick Butner too um they're both of those guys are really big on free grace um but the ragamuffin gospel by brennan manning is one that i really recommend if you have if you feel like you have a hard time with just you know i feel like i need to avoid hell and not make mistakes all the time brennan manning will help you appreciate the music so to speak That's brennan awesome. manning uh understood grace because
2: he had to use it a lot yep. in, in his life and I, and I like that. And so like another one, this sounds stupid, but one of the reasons as to why I love Hank Williams seniors songs is like, he would go on an absolute binge and like mess everything up. And then the next morning he would write something like I saw the light. Right. Or yeah, like just, he, he was terrible <laughs> at being a responsible human being, but he clung very deeply to God's grace. Um, mm you know, anyway, those types of, that's, that's, I say this a lot, but when Martin Luther says, when you sin, sin boldly, but believe more boldly still, I remind myself of these, these types of things. I saw the light. Brendan Manning's a good one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah we all make mistakes and we all flub up um, and we all mean we all need God's grace. And that's part I want to just tie this back into joining the church and, and membership of the church and um, that's part of being a member of a church and and we we kind of briefly touched on this at the beginning of our conversation today. And honestly, when I first came to the CP church I didn't understand what the big deal of membership was of course coming out of church of Christ, if you go to that church. You're you, you a member. I mean, that's you show up on Sunday morning. Good for you. You're a member of that church. And so I didn't really understand what the importance was of, of becoming an official member of the church. But as I have learned and grown with the CP church, the more I find church membership a beautiful testament because it is, it is this testament of saying, this is this particular family is my family. And no matter what comes and what goes, pastors that come and go, decisions that come and go, I have made the personal choice that this is the family that I'm going to do life with, that I am going to learn more about Christ with, and that I'm going to grow and mature with. And it it is through that profession of faith and membership within that congregation that you are making that bold proclamation public decision that this is the people that you're choosing to do life with and and learn through the kingdom with. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful process. And if you're watching this and you have not joined your church and you have just gone to your church forever, really consider um, making that declaration and becoming a member of that church, that this is the choice that these are the people you want to do life with.
2: Don't date your church, marry it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing.
2: It is. I mean, and that's the reflection of the gospel that you, you are, again, I, again, I say this a lot, but marriage is the model, um, of church membership. You, you commit yourself to the church and the church commits itself to you and, and we're under authority of one another and we try to live life the best we can. Being faithful
0: and offering grace when people make mistakes and flub up because we all we all need grace we all need grace yep that's all i've got awesome that's all i've got y'all there
2: you go i'm gonna go look at more of this cemetery (laughs) all right
0: enjoy the rest of your vacation chris and thank you so much for taking time to to hang out with us today all right god bless you guys Till next time, be blessed.
1: See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.